back in Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 today. So Galatians 5, 13 through 15, if you got your Bibles. But I want to start that conversation while you're tur- well, this conversation while you're turning there with this question. Um, what do you tend to think of when you think of the word freedom? If I, when I say the word freedom, what comes to mind first? America, right? Yeah, there you go. The very first thing, exactly. All right, you think of eagles flying around and, and Lee Greenwood singing in the background, and you know, we, we think of America, we think of fireworks and all that. You know, just this past week I was taking Reese to school and we got behind this Jeep Wrangler that was all decked out in American, American flags, and the, the wheel cover on the back was this big American flag with this eagle just staring you down. And it's like, wow, man, look at the freedom there, Reese. And he's like, that eagle looks like it wants, wants to kill us right now, Dad. Well, that's what freedom looks like, uh, you know. Those are those things that come to mind because we're, we're Americans, well, at least most of us here, right? Uh, sorry, Waldo and Inca, if you're here somewhere. I <laughs> I think they're out of town, so we're good. We're good. Uh, Waldo did say he's traveling this week. That's funny. Uh, but anyway, these are the things that we think of when we think of the word freedom, right? I, I'm, I'm born in America. We're born with a license to do whatever we want and live however we want and think however we want, right? This is America. We're free. Land of the free. But freedom should actually bring a lot of other things to mind if we are Christian. Because the Christian, uh, the, the Christian Bible, it teaches us to think of our faith in terms of freedom. It's a church word. It's a Christian word. We're supposed to think about our faith. And we've been talking about what freedom means to the Christian faith as we've been working through this book of Galatians. So when you think of the Christian faith... Maybe ask yourself this, after all these weeks in the book of Galatians, do you think of the word freedom when you think of the Christian faith? Do you think, wow, I'm a Christian, I'm free, I know what freedom is because I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what comes to mind? I bet not. I bet even having studied this Bible for as many weeks as we have, have, that's probably not what comes to mind. Again, when we think of freedom, we we don't think of the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, when we think of the Christian faith, we might think of something uh, that's the polar opposite of freedom. When we think of the Christian faith, you might think of that which is restrictive. I'm a Christian now, so I can't live however I want and do whatever I want. And so maybe that's kind of a drag when you think about it. Hey, you're a Christian now, so follow all the do's and don'ts and, 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 and you better live up to them. And, and also along with that, you got to actually start doing a bunch of things that you'd maybe not prefer to do all the time. So welcome to the prison sentence of the Christian life. Right? We think of it in terms of being restrictive. We don't think of, of Christian freedom in the way we should. We think of the things that you know, we cannot do. So why should we, though, how should we think through this word differently? Well, this book of the Bible is challenging us to think of our faith in terms of freedom, to think of freedom in a new way here. Remember the flagship verse. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This is what Galatians is all about. If you had to pick one verse to summarize, to encapsulate what the entire book is about, it's chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's what Christian freedom is all about. 
So you just got to answer these questions. Freedom from what? Freedom to what? What are we talking about when we're talking about freedom? More specifically, well, Paul has spent the entire letter talking about these things, giving us very explicit answers to these questions. It's not freedom to redefine morality. We're not talking about like uh, political freedom or anything like that. We're, we're talking about freedom from sin. Freedom from the consequence of sin. Freedom from the wrath of God. Freedom from having to merit our forgiveness from God. Freedom from the curse of the law. That's what Christian freedom is about. Freedom from the curse of the law and having to live up to the law and be perfect in order to be loved and accepted by God. So ultimately, Christian freedom is about Christian, Christians being free from legalism. Now, Religious people, we say we don't want to be legalistic, but really when it comes down to it, we tend to be legalistic. So when, when, when religious people, the problem with this, me, this Christian message of freedom is that when religious people are told not to be legalistic or to let go, you're free from being legalistic. We're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want that type of freedom. Right? That legalism gives us a little control and makes us feel safe. It's a false sense of security, as we've talked about. But still, I mean, the message of the gospel, it's, it's so radical that it makes legalistic people nervous. It puts them on edge. And so legalistic people, when they hear about the true freedom that we have via the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, when we truly are confronted with that type of freedom, legalistic people always push back against that message. They pushed back against it in Paul's day, and they still push back against it in our day. And the way that legalistic people pushed back against the doctrines of grace in Paul's day tends to be the exact same way that legalistic people push back against the doctrines of grace in our day. So this is why this is so relevant, to talk about the book of Galatians and to read through its message so that we can, we can fight back against these tendencies that we all have. You know, people that don't like the, the message of freedom and grace, the, the, they'll usually push back it, against it in this way. Like, say, man, if you, just, if you preach that message of grace and that freedom that we have, you're, you're going to set people up for sin. So you've got to be so careful like that. To be careful with what you say. If you go telling people that their works don't play a role in their salvation, that they don't have to be good in order to be loved and accepted by God, they're going to think they can live any way that they want. If they, if, they are, if they are exposed to that sort of freedom, their sin is going to run wild. So we got to be at least a little legalistic, right? That's usually the pushback that you hear. It's, and it's a reasonable rebuttal when you think about that. Well, if my righteous works don't save me and my, my bad works don't condemn me, what's it matter with what I do? Can I just live however I want? What's it matter? It's a reasonable rebuttal, but it's the wrong mindset. And that's why apostles like Peter and Paul, they, they would preach against this and, and push back against that rebuttal often. And this is one of those moments today in which we see uh, that Paul is pushing back against that rebuttal uh, against the doctrines of grace that say, hey, you know, be careful with that grace or people are going to start sinning all over the place. So 
the mindset that we're going to talk about today, I, I just want to do two things. I want, I want to, in, in the passage we're looking at, verses 13 through 15, I want to really hone in on just what Christian freedom looks like, what it feels like in our lives. And number two, I want to talk about how to set yourself up for the holiness that should be in your life in light of that grace that has freed you from legalism. Those are the two things I want to do today. So as we get into this text, let's just, I'm just going to read the, the entire section we're covering in its entirety, verses 13 through 15 of chapter 5. Paul says here, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, may not, that you are not consumed by one another. So here's what Paul says in that section right out the gate. You were called to freedom. You were called to live in freedom. And it's a specific version of freedom, remember, that he's been talking about. So this isn't the sort of freedom that says, I can live however I darn well please. That's not the freedom he's talking about. This isn't the version of freedom that says, if it feels good, do it, you're free. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the, the treat yourself freedom, right? Just to do whatever you want, whatever feels good. That's called hedonism. Paul is clearly against hedonism. The Christian faith is clearly against hedonism, right? I mean, the, one of the major concepts of the Christian faith is this lifestyle of self-denial, self-sacrificing life, right? We model our lives after Jesus, who sacrificed himself for us. And so Christian freedom has nothing to do with hedonism, right? The pursuit of self-indulgence. That's not Christian freedom. And so to, to drive this home, Paul says here in that passage, this freedom that he's talking about, it, that he's talking about, that we're living in, we're not to use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We never are to use our, our, our freedom that we have in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. So when, when Paul says, re refers to the flesh, he's referring to our sinful, fallen nature, right? You and I, as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, we are saved by the grace of God. We are seen as righteous before God because it's, it's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to me through faith, right? It's the atonement of Christ that atones for all of my sins, past, present, and future. But on this side of heaven, I'm still in a battle with sin. I'm still battling this, this desire to sin. You and, all, you and I all have a desire to sin. We, there are many sins out there right now that are very much appealing to us. That's why we do them, right? And we have to deny ourselves in order to get away from this sin. But we have this, this struggle in the Christian life. Paul describes it in many different ways, and, and one, one way he describes it, uh, he, he talks about this new life that we have in Christ and this old life of sin as like um, putting on clothes or taking off clothes. Like we want to take off our old self, like this, the, the old, my old sinful self, and I want to put on the righteousness of Christ, this new life. We are in that process. So we're living in this life in which we're putting off the old and putting on the new. 
And so in that process, as we live in light of the gospel, we don't ever want to use the gospel of grace as a means of justifying our old self and our old sinful tendencies. And when we do that, we're proving that we really don't know the gospel at all. So people who do this are proving that it's really a slap in the face, right? To think that, well, I'm, I'm freed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore I can go on sinning? Do you think that Jesus would die for our sins so that we could go ahead and sin all the more? That we could sin any way that we want? That wouldn't make any sense, right? If God sent his son to die for our sins just so that we could go on sinning and living however we want, why did he do it? We were doing just fine before we got here. We didn't need any help sinning. We didn't need permission to sin. We were sinning against the will of God already. We were doing just fine. That's Jesus dying on the cross and living this life for us, it doesn't condone or enable our sin, right? We want to get away from sin. We want to deny that. We want to step away from that which he died for. But yet a lot of people seem to live their life in that way. A lot of Christians do. You know, there was a celebrity pastor here not long ago, just a few years ago. And this, this particular celebrity pastor, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of like... Uh, I'll razz on a lot of the prosperity gospel guys all the time, but this, this particular celebrity pastor was legit. He wrote good content. He seemed to preach the gospel in a very good way. I read several of his books, and they seemed to be right on the money and in alignment with the gospel and, and scripture. And I remember uh, here just a few years ago, he, he made the news in a lot of ways because his life just blew up. He decided that he wanted a new wife and a new set of friends and a new church. And so he went from, you know, like writing all these gospel-centered books and preaching all of these gospel-centered sermons to leaving his family, leaving his wife, leaving his church and, and getting a new wife and a new family and a new church and just in a matter of months. I remember being so shocked. Like, what in the world? You know, I would, I would expect this kind of behavior from one of these jokers that I can't even take serious, but this guy seems to know the truth. What is he doing? And so he was being interviewed a lot in the news, and of course I was following that storyline because this was, again, a guy that I, I admired. I, I thought like he had a very healthy and good ministry. And one thing that he said always stuck with me when he was asked, how, how do you justify this new life that you're living, that it's so obviously against what Scripture teaches and it's so obviously against all of these Christian ethics that you've preached for years? How do you justify it? His response stuck with me. He just said this over and over. Jesus has covered this. Jesus has covered this. It's been covered. His grace is enough. And I remember just like, oh, I mean, it just took my breath away. Like you're using the gospel of Jesus Christ to justify your sin. It's okay to do what you know is wrong and what scripture says is wrong because of the grace of God. I mean, that blew my mind. That is not Christian freedom. That's a guy that would have preached Christ, Christian freedom too. But he sure wasn't living in Christian freedom. His works told the whole story. He was living a life of slavery to sin. It was a slavery that he was living in, a slavery to self-centeredness, a slavery to narcissism, I think, in his, in, uh, his case in particular. But we are to never use the gospel of grace as a means of justifying sin and doing whatever we want to do and living any way that we want to live, right? We don't get to redefine morality. So Paul would preach, or Peter would preach against this too. 
That, again, wherever, it seems wherever the gospel is truly preached, that rebuttal surfaces that, oh, you can live however you want. So they would often have to preach against this. Another example of this is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Peter says this, live as people who are free. What does that mean? Well, he tells us, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So if Peter and Paul both had to preach against that rebuttal, it's probably a good sign when we hear that rebuttal. At least it means we're, we're, we're talking about the gospel in the same ways that they were talking about the gospel. And it seems like it has been routine since, I mean, preaching at this church that people say, well, again, if we're saved by grace, what's it matter than how we live, right? I think that's a good sign to hear that rebuttal because, you know, if you're getting the same rebuttals that Peter and Paul got and that they had to preach against, you're, you're, all in, you're in line with what they're saying. And so the reason Peter and Paul had to say this is because the truth of the gospel is we, we are free, right? We are free. Our good works don't save us. Our bad works don't condemn us in Christ. We are free. But the, another reason they had to keep, you know, pushing back against that rebuttal is because in the situation we're in right now, still this side of heaven, still battling sin, the temptation will be to take that gospel of grace and use it as a license to sin. That'll be the temptation. You and, all, you and I will all fight that temptation. Knowing that it's the righteousness of Jesus that makes me acceptable to God, knowing that it's the atonement of Christ on the cross, we will be tempted to say, well, if I got the righteousness that's, that's not my own, if I have the atonement that I didn't provide, why not just go ahead and dabble a little bit? Why not just dabble just a little bit in sin? We're going to all have to fight that temptation. And have you ever been tempted in that way? How are we to fight that temptation to use the, you know, the, well, I'm free, so why not go ahead and do it? Well, there's a, there's a verse in Romans chapter 13 that I want to bring to your attention. This is Paul, again, in another place in the Bible, talking about having this conversation in a different epistle. And in Romans 13, verses 13 through 14, Paul says this, and I think it's a, it's a helpful, practical piece of advice for us. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. I, the, the piece I want to draw out to you that I think is just so practical there. Make no provisions for the flesh. Again, that flesh is talking about our sinful self. It's so practical because we all make provisions in our life to set us up for results that we want. We all want specific results, and so we, we put things in place in our lives or we organize our life in such a way that we can get specific results. So how are you organizing your life? What provisions are you putting in place to get what results? If you want, if you want your life to, to result in a life of, of holiness, right, you need to put provisions in place to, to get those results. That's a practical piece of advice. And if you're, if you're dealing with habitual sin in your life, what are the provisions in place enabling that sin or resulting in that sin? These are the, the questions we should be asking ourselves. Are you setting yourself up for success or are you setting yourself up for failure here? You know, last week, my uh, in-laws came into town. 
And so I wanted to set myself up for a successful week, right? So one of the ways that my mother-in-law loves to serve our family is she loves to cook. And one of the ways I love to serve my mother-in-law is I like to eat her food. <laughs> it's a great deal. And, and so the, as soon as she came over to the house, we're, we're sitting down on the couch and probably within 10 minutes. I open up my phone and I open up the Walmart app and the click list that I'm like, Meemaw, you know, we call her Meemaw now because, you know, we got the grandkids. So, uh, Meemaw, what, what, what we need? Just t tell me. Start, start rattling off ingredients, and I'll start typing it in right now, and I will pick this click list up tomorrow. And we went, I mean, like $200 later, right, where we, I got a, a healthy list of ingredients, and I go pick it up the next day. That was a week ago. I still have enough leftovers in my fridge right now. I could have several of you over for lunch today, and we could still be eating on that food. It, it worked. With the provisions were in place for me to feast all week long and for our whole family to feast all week long. I had to think about that in advance. I had to do certain things in my life to, to ensure that that would happen, right? Thinking ahead. Now I need to make provisions, provisions to exercise because I, I feel like I've uh, fattened up over the week. But sometimes the provisions that we have in place in our life, whether we're conscious of it or not, they don't always set us up for success. They set us up for failure. You know, what are you, what are you making provisions for? If you, if you make provisions in your life that enable sin, then that's what you'll do. I mean, it's real practical, really simple, right? If, you, if you're living your life in certain scenarios repeatedly that make it really easy to sin, then you will sin because it's super easy. If, if, you're, if you're exercising your Christian freedom, however that looks in your life, if you're exercising that freedom in such a way that makes sin more accessible or promotes it in any way, then you're going to access it. That's just the way we are. Because remember... We are sinners saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect people saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace. Sinning is what we do. And when we sin, we do it because we want to. Right? Again, like I think, uh, I, I talk to people almost on a weekly basis who struggle with habitual sins in their life. Sometimes we have habitual sins that stick around for years in our life. And, and I think the, one of the most, one of the biggest reasons habitual sin sticks around and lingers for so long is because you provide for them. You enable that. You, you haven't ever messed with your routine of life or questioned anything. You just keep seeing the result and being frustrated about that result, but you never really do anything to get yourself out of that routine or to change up those provisions to get a different result. And so you keep getting the same result over and over and over again. And you completely ignore verses like what Jesus says, right? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Do something extreme. You have to, you have to provide for yourself in a way that would promote certain results. You have to go to an extreme. You have to say, no, I'm not going to do things in this way because it keeps resulting in that. Don't provide for the flesh or you're going to take advantage of every one of those opportunities to sin more. So I mean, uh, yesterday morning, I was making cinnamon rolls. Uh, not like, like making, making them, right? My mother-in-law's gone. I got like the can of cinnamon rolls. 
and just put them in the oven, right? So I got the can of cinnamon rolls out, made some cinnamon rolls for me and the boys, but uh, Amanda's been avoiding gluten, which I still haven't entirely figured out what it is yet, because every time I'm like, is there gluten in this? Like, I ask every time. But, but like, so I come to bed with coffee and a plate of cinnamon rolls yesterday morning back in bed, and, and what does Amanda do? Get that away from me. <laughs> right? It was like, it was, she said it in a way that was like, get behind me, Satan. Like, that kind of tone to it. Get it away. Like, she... She, right? she didn't want me to get rid of those cinnamon rolls because she didn't want them, right? She wanted me to get rid of those cinnamon rolls because she wanted to go cookie monster on those cinnamon rolls at that moment. So I wolfed them down really fast <laughs> to serve her. <laughs> but here, here's, the, here's the paradox of the Christian faith, of, the, of Christian freedom. Like, if we really want to live in the freedom that's described in scripture, we have to be disciplined about it. That's the paradox of Christian freedom. We have to be disciplined. So we don't want to use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul tells us to do something else. Think of it in a different way. What's he say? Through love, serve one another. So when we're exercising our Christian freedom, it has a certain look to it, a certain feel to it. It's this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not natural. To love your neighbor as yourself, that's not a natural thing to do. That's a spirit-filled thing to do. So we see this commandment in Scripture several times, and most notably we think of Jesus saying it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? But I love that command in Scripture because it makes so much sense to me. Like I feel like, like this is... This is such a, a strong commandment in, in Scripture because it makes so much sense uh, in light of how we think. We, we just naturally love ourselves. We, we, we naturally put ourselves first. So when it comes to being self-indulgent, right, we got that on lockdown. We know how to do that without even thinking about it. That feels very natural. When it comes to being self-serving or self-centered, that's easy. Man, I can do that without even thinking. That's just my nature. That's my flesh. And so when we see this commandment in Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it's like God's way of saying, hey, you know how you like being self-indulgent and self-serving and self-centered? Yeah, take all of that energy and, and treat someone else like you treat yourself. Like, take the energy that you spend on serving yourself, and with that same tenacity, serve someone else in your life. Then you're really living in Christian freedom. When you're serving others, you're never more like Jesus than when you give yourself for the good of others. That's what Christian freedom looks like. You know, that goes against the grain, though, of a lot of what we hear, a lot of the rhetoric we hear. So I was doing a, uh, a workout video in my basement last week trying to burn off some of the calories. I actually did get ahead of it a little bit. So I'm doing, that's, where, that's my gym now is my, my workout room in my, in my basement. And so I'm, I'm doing a workout video on the TV we got set up there. And uh, this lady, she's, you know those workout instructors, they got to say something to fill the time. And so they end up saying some of the silliest things sometimes. And if, if you're like me, as you're working out and as they're talking, trying to motivate you, I'm kind of giggling at them because a lot of it's so ridiculous. But, but I'll, I'll, I gotta, gotta get the workout in. But this lady, she's, she's like, she's preaching on self-love. Man, you gotta love, love yourself. You self-care, self-love, self-love. 
you got to remember two things. And this is what she said. You got to cut everyone out of your life who's not serving you in some way. And number two, you're a queen. <laughs> I was like, well, I can't argue the second one because I'm doing a workout video in my basement. <laughs> so, all right, you got me there. But cut everybody out of my life who's not serving me in some way? Come on. What do you mean? Like, sorry, kids, hit the road. You're not serving me in any way. Get out of here. <laughs> That's not the love uh, that the Bible talks about. Uh, that's not the Christian life. The version of love that the Bible talks about and promotes, right, it's, it's not constrained by self-worship like that. Right, we're freed to put others before ourselves. We're encouraged to, right? Love is, love is, love is constrained by, in, in the Christian faith, love is constrained by the worship of God and service towards others. It's It's selfless. Because the, motiv the, the motivating factor, it's not us. It's, it's about who God is. And it's about, how, it's about who his son is. The motivating factor when it comes to the love that the Bible talks about is Jesus. And it redirects my energy, my life. Right? It redirects our freedom to not focus on self and self-indulgent, but to focus on God and to focus on others. So, so freedom in Christ... It, it means to be captive to Christ, to be captivated by who he is and what his life means, to be captivated by his word and what he's taught and his holiness. What did Jesus teach? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when Jesus was confronted, what, what is the greatest commandment, Rabbi? What's the greatest commandment? How did he respond? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. And he said there's a second one like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the life application portion. Like when you're thinking of your life, what provisions are in place to get whatever results you're after? Right? What 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 provisions do you have in place to ensure you're truly living in Christian freedom? Is the holiness of God actually the goal? Is the holiness of Christ manifest in your life? Is that truly what you're after? Do you want to see these good works? You should. Are you structuring your life in such a way that you would get those types of results so that you can live in the way the Bible commands us to live? Well, if you're structuring your life in this way, uh, you, you should be, people that are worshiping around you and that are part of the church with you, they should feel, they should be impacted by that structure, right? Because, because the way this really manifests in, in, in our lives, this Christian freedom and this, this service to other people, the first people group that should feel the impact of that belief that you're living out are the people that you worship with, the local church, Right, I mean, he's writing this letter to churches, people who gather on a weekly basis. And, and, and the group of churches that are all messed up and they got a lot of problems and, and their lives are messy. He's writing this letter to them saying, hey guys, don't, 
bite and devour one another. As a matter of fact, if you live in this Christian freedom that I've been preaching about, and that I was there preaching about, you should be especially serving one another. This is how it manifests in our life. When we structure our life around the gospel, the results are Christian holiness and service towards others. So in the flesh, we don't make provisions for ourselves. In the, in, in the spirit, we'll always make provisions for God's people. And so, you know, serving the local church is kind of a drag or coming to church is kind of a drag maybe you got the wrong mindset if this is a hassle right because I think a lot of times church can feel that can start to feel like a hassle if this feels like a hassle to you you've probably drifted away from Christian freedom and and, and you're you're kind of drifting into self-indulgence as a matter of fact a lot of people when I talk to them about their church experience uh, or rather, if they left the church, or they, they church hop, or, or um, they're frustrated with the church, one of the things, one of the first things that they say is, you know, I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Now, okay, all right, that's not all bad. There may be some truth to that. If the church isn't preaching the gospel and things like that, I mean, that's, you're probably not getting fed there. But that shouldn't be the only mindset, right? I mean, I think a better question that we should be asking ourselves after we attended church Uh, today. It isn't so much, did I get anything out of church? We should be asking ourselves, did the church get anything out of me having been there? Right? I'm living in the freedom of the gospel. I should be, you know, very intentional about how I serve Christ's body, his church, the people he died for. Did that church get anything out of my attendance today? Ask that question first. Then maybe ask the question, did I get anything out of it? Okay, I, I think if, if that's the order, if we're, if we're asking ourselves, did the church get anything out of me being a part of it, I think we're, we're more living in the, in, the, in the frame of mind that the New Testament is promoting here. So our good works really do matter. No, they don't save us. But our good works matter because they, they act as like a thermometer, I think, to take the temperature of our faith. You know, so many people, when they contemplate their faith, they worry sometimes, you know, is this real? Am I authentic? Is this genuine? Is this experience really impacting my life? You know, am am I really a believer? We struggle with doubt and things like that. Well, there should be a very easy way to, to push back against those thoughts. Look and see. Is there evidence in your life that you're living in the right frame of mind, in a Christian frame of mind? Is there evidence in your life, acts of service, participation? Is, there, is, is, your, is your faith authentic? Well, let's see. Let's look. Are you there? Are you present with others? Are you investing in others? Is my faith alive? Well, let's, let's look and see. And you know, it's oftentimes that some of those difficult scenarios are really when we see the, uh, the, the most proof of the authenticity of our faith. And, and Paul would talk about this in many of his New Testament letters too, right? We're thankful for those difficult times in life. Several of the New Testament authors use this. We're, we're thankful. We can be grateful. We can have joy in those really hard trials in life because when our faith endures through that, right, comes out the other side, it's something something shiny and new and, and valuable, we treasure it more, right? I mean, it, 
So being a part of the local church, I'm not trying to say that it's this really easy thing, and sometimes it does feel like a hassle. But you know what? You, you just got to embrace the hassle. You got to embrace the struggle. We're God's people. There's a struggle component to it. And when you embrace that struggle and, and you're able to put, you're able to deny yourself and embrace that hassle and invest, that's evidence, that's fruit. That's the fruit that bears from a life who believes the gospel. And so if you want assurance, take a look and see what's the evidence saying. And if the evidence isn't there, what provisions do you have in place to change those results? Change something up. Do something you've never done before. Serve in a way you've never served before. I can't tell you in training uh, teenage kids in, in the weight room for years and years and years of my life, like, you know, I'm not getting results. Well, you just do the same thing every time. Right? You gotta change it up. You gotta confuse your body a little bit. You gotta, you gotta try a different workout, a different method. Watch your technique. Pay attention to what you're doing. Be intentional. You know, you get the right provisions in place and you're gonna have different results in place. And so we are gonna talk more about this next week as you see the remainder of chapter five gets in to uh, the fruit of the spirit. We had a whole sermon series over the fruit of the spirit. I'm not gonna go one by one this time. We're gonna go through the whole thing together in one sermon, but we're gonna continue uh, this conversation next week as we gather. But today, let's think about the gospel, and as we contemplate the gospel in a time of communion, be thinking about how you're structuring your life right now. Be challenged by that, and think about how you could change things up to be more obedient uh, to these commands. Let's pray. Lord, again, I, th I thank you for this church family, and I thank you for the ways in which you challenge us in just a couple of sentences in so many ways. Just a couple of verses we can, we can study and read and think about the implications of, uh, Lord, and, and you challenge us in, in so many ways. Lord, so many of us in here, we, we are caught in a cycle of sin. We, we keep getting caught in a cycle that is so frustrating to us. And it's because we have provisions in our life that enable that cycle to continue on and on and on and on again. Lord, I pray that we would be confronted and aware of that today in such a way that we would be willing to change up those provisions, that we would be willing to change up that structure. Lord, we want to do these things not to prove ourselves to you. We don't have to do that. We're free in the gospel. But we want to do this Lord, so that we can be obedient, so that we can live lives that truly do serve our neighbor, that truly do um, put others before ourselves, consider other people more important, more significant than ourselves. Lord, help us to live in this way so that we can live in this freedom that you teach us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Mm -hmm.